Level up your image magic skills with some Renaissance wizardry. My new class, The Magical Philosophy of Henry Cornelius Agrippa, is now available for streaming on demand. Dive into the mystical world of Henry Cornelius Agrippa with my lecture on the theory of divine light from his seminal work, Three Books of Occult Philosophy. Visit arnamancy.com slash stream to get started. This class sheds light on pivotal aspects of Agrippa's work and its lasting impact on the art of magic. Remember, that's arnamancy.com slash stream. One thing I try to underline in the book is this idea that the diamond, I believe, is trying to make contact with us as much as we want to contact it. And I, I think that just logically it follows that if this being is responsible for us, for our souls kind of fulfilling their destiny, their life path, wouldn't it want us to sort of like wake up and get the message as soon as possible? But I think along with that comes it's speaking in, in, you know, in different ways to all of us. And Speak the charm of me. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. The world is weirder than we know. Join your host, Reverend Eric, in his diverse array of amazing guests in an exploration of tarot, magic, the occult, and the history of Western esotericism. The Arnamancy Podcast exists thanks to the support of generous listeners like you. Please consider supporting this podcast for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Today I'm joined by astrologer, author, and artist Kat Nelligan. Kat incorporates astrology into her work coaching small business owners, helping artists, writers, musicians, and all kinds of creatives to better understand themselves, identify their calling, and share their work with the world. We're going to be talking about Kat's new book, Discovering Your Personal Diamond. Kat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's I really love the show, and it's an honor to join the ranks. Oh. People who get to talk to you. <laughs> well, that's that's flattering. I, yeah, it's uh, it's fun to make, and it's great fun because uh, now that it's been around for a little while, like when I reach out mm-hmm. to people, they'll be like, "Oh, sure, I'll be on your show." Mm-hmm. But then also people like you, I like I hadn't really come across your work before, and you reached out to me, and I was like, "Oh, this is perfect." Like this stuff that you're working with, I love doing this. You know, I um, I guess we we should we'll we'll talk about that later. Let's get into what we're talking about. So, uh, you have this new book coming out, um, calling discovering called discovering your personal diamond. What does that mean? <laughs> what it's, is it? Yeah, well, it, it basically is describing what I've been up to myself over the past uh, about two, two three years now. So, the diamond is a topic that. I guess on some level I've been interested in since I was a little kid. Um, I don't think I called it my diamond. Um, I was raised Catholic and my mom told me about that. I, that I had a, a holy guardian angel looking over me and, and that was always a very comforting thing. And then I think, you know, I was about nine or 10, I started reading the Philip Pullman series. And I think a lot of um, historic materials, and that's where a lot of people have come across this idea of a diamond or a daemon. People call it different things. When I say Damon, I just think of Matt Damon, so I try not to say it that way. Um, <laughs> but but more recently, getting into this practice of astrology, I came across this concept of the Daimon and how it was very much interweaved into, I would say, the foundation of at least uh, you know traditional 
Hellenistic astrology. And because it relates to the topic of destiny, calling, what we do with our life, I, I just couldn't think of anything more interesting. And the more I looked into it, the more um, fascinated I was and the more I wanted to discover my own personal diamond. And I guess my research turned into a book at some point. And, and that's that's the book. It's the it's the danger of doing research. it's safer if you if you don't take notes then you'll never (laughs) get a book so the diamond itself like this is a it's an interesting word because so you were sort of like equating it with a with the holy guardian angel and then you brought up philip pullman who i'm unfamiliar with who who's he am i am i too old for this he's he's an author um he wrote books writes books I, i guess uh for kids and young adults uh, what was the film you might have heard of, like the Amber Spyglass? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's the and there was is there, there like was a, a Golden crappy, Compass or something? The Golden Compass that was probably yeah. one that was, was okay. more popular. Yeah, and and all of the characters have a little animal creature accompanying guide. Oh, like a uh, familiar. Which, sort of yeah, thing. exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's another way of thinking about the diamond completely. And in in that in that series, the diamond that they have will change constantly its form evolves while the the person is um a child and then when they reach uh, puberty they the diamond basically solidifies into one hmm. animal and i mean I, I used to speak to my stuffed animals as a child like a lot of people did but I, I really did it probably for too long and i think that that idea of having like an accompanying familiar what was really appealing and it still is uh, a good friend of mine just had a baby Oh, I should probably congratulate him. Hey, Austin, congratulations on having a baby. <laughs> Remember to send that text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he sent me the name of the baby. I was like, oh, I had a, I had a teddy bear when I was a kid with the exact same name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I talked to my stuffed animals also. <laughs> Good company. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the thing, uh, and the word itself, like if you're just reading along and you come across the word daimon, looks like the word demon, mm. which I think is one of those things that kind of... Um, might like intimidate or scare a lot of people when they come across it. And the fact that you're also associating it with the Holy Guardian Angel, while it's something where, I mean, I know a lot of my listeners are, you know, fairly practiced occultists and stuff, but mm-hmm. for people who haven't been around this stuff a lot, uh, there's a huge association, like daimon uh, is sort of, it's a Greek word for spirit, right? And it kind of, it, yeah. so it kind yeah, of it, includes angels. It, it does. And the thing about what separates the diamond from angels or demons is mm-hmm. that for me it's it's an it's an intermediary character um it exists in the in-between and throughout this book i kind of i kept coming back to it's neither this nor that or it's both and and it's hard to pin down uh and that almost plays into this kind of uh trickster-like character of it but yeah but addressing the idea of the Okay, so a lot of your listeners are probably way more familiar with the idea of the Holy Guardian Angel from the kind of occult, like the HGA. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Idea, than I am. Like this is something that I, I attempted to research for the book, and well, it, it's a massive area. So, can I ask you about? Uh, so, you were saying that, like, when you were raised Catholic and you were told that mm-hmm. you had sort of a guardian angel, um, was there uh, was there some kind of like lore around that, or was it just sort of a like a well, platitude for me as a kid, and and this is the only time I really encountered it. It was a way. It was just something that mum told me to to put me at ease. But again, when researching for the book, um, it was something that I can't actually remember what pope it was, but 
be the Pope at the time, it was very encouraging to people, adults, people of all ages, to um, acknowledge that they had a personal guardian angel. I th- as far as I know, in um, like Catholic law, it's it really is a, a protective force. Okay. Whereas, as I've understood it, the, the daimon itself, I, I, I can't accept that the the daimon that I'm, I'm most interested in is just a protective force. For me, it's much, much more about destiny. And you mentioned that daimon's another word for spirit. Well, it really translates also to the word destiny. And even this afternoon, I, I was reading through um, a copy of Plato's Republic that I hadn't seen before. It's just stole it off my dad. But basically, the the bits in um, at the end where you have a myth, uh, the myth of Ur, which is in Plato's Republic. It's one of the last kind of sections in it, um, which is quite a foundational story for my understanding of the daimon. Instead of using the word daimon, it uses the word destiny. Hmm. And I was like, it was quite, I don't know. I I knew that there was a big, big connection between daimon and destiny, but I didn't expect this author, this translator, to have directly translated daimon to destiny. That's fascinating. Yeah, and it it makes you think. It, Mm -hmm. It means that, well, the daimon can't really just, it's not just going to protect you from harm, you know, and I, I in the book, I talk about Socrates' daimon or daimonian who didn't discourage him from, you know, facing his death. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a protective force at that point. So I had to kind of, you know, reassess that the daimon isn't just this kind of cuddly character that's going to protect me from harm. It's something else. Yeah, that's really interesting. I We will have to come back to to that because I think there's some cool stuff to dive into there, like connecting those two ideas. I didn't really, I mean, I guess that does make sense. You know, Socrates is sort of like well known for having his guiding spirit or his, you know, genius or whatever that speaks to him and like gives him advice and likes people sometimes and doesn't like them and all this interesting stuff. You have done a lot of work with a daimon. It isn't something that you've just researched. It's something that you've actually, like as a practitioner, you have sort of pursued knowledge of this and working with this spirit idea yeah yeah and while again going back to that hga thing i haven't done any very formal rituals myself it's been a lot of well my first approach was through astrology mm-hmm. um and basically a quarter of the book is is dedicated to the diamond in astrology and there isn't one set way of connecting um with your discovering your personal diamond through astrology, but it was definitely something that was debated and discussed by um, Neoplatonists who were, you know, practicing astrology. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I, I kind of connect like four different, let's say, approaches to understanding the diamond in our birth chart. Uh, and these are all four things that I've practiced myself and I've been exploring with other people during this time as well. Mm-hmm. As for like the the problem with this was, like that that bit for me is like that's the easy part doing the kind of the, the even the more mathematical kind of approaches to 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 the diamond in astrology the thing that i struggled more with was having a more intuitive connection with the diamond and that's really what i've been seeking throughout this process uh, and actually writing the book there has have been some interesting moments of again i i think my diamond has a particular character and the kinds of bothersome wake up calls that it's been giving me throughout this book writing process has has definitely been helpful information for me um, in terms of how to connect with it. But but one of the things I, I, I would say is just 
being an observer mm-hmm. in my life has has been a really helpful thing. So one of the things that happened to me when I was writing this book um, was earlier in the year where I was kind of like chipping away at the book and it wasn't my main priority. It was kind of just going along in the background and I'd set up a Scrivener project and research every now and then was going into it. One day when I updated my computer, uh, I lost the entire project pretty much. Uh, I had saved like some documents in different places, but I lost the whole thing. And I had to kind of come to terms with like, am I serious about this? Am I actually going to make this into a book? Um, And it it just, it really, to me, I interpreted that as um, a way of my diamond kind of giving me a kick up the ass, as we'd say, uh, to, to commit to it. That's interesting. And that's also, it also kind of walks into the idea about the diamond and destiny, because it's really sort of like, this is a test. Are you really going to do this or not? And it's really not just like some magic crossing guard who's holding your hand all the time. No, and that would be nice, but mine doesn't (laughs) seem to be that interested in that. Well, at least it hasn't um, led you to uh, prison and poison yet. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Better fate than than Socrates. Yeah. Uh, so then, I mean, it's in, it's interesting. You know, you it sounds like you're kind of using um, much older techniques. A lot of the HGA stuff, at least in Western esotericism, is is pretty new. Like it comes from like the Golden Dawn and. Um, I mean, I guess there's like the the book of Abramelin, but even that's uh, much newer than the Hellenic astrology stuff, and it's uh, yeah. it's intense. Like, you know, the Abramelin ritual takes I don't know six months or a year or something like that, and mm-hmm. it's not. Um, it's definitely something you have to be like independently wealthy and own property in the country and have like a servant boy and a giant sandbox and like all the stuff like that none of us can really afford to do these days exactly. so when you're talking about the astrology of the daimon like how how does it help you get in touch like what are some of the things that you mm-hmm. have to look at or some of the approaches you have to take sure yeah and and, and all of the four techniques i think tell us something different about the daimon um one of the simplest ways i like to start out is just looking at the 11th place and the 12th place or the, the 11th house and the 12th house mm-hmm so a lot of people know kind of, okay, the 11th house has something to do with groups and it's, it's a, you know, pretty, it represents good things in our life. 12th house, ooh, a bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. But most people don't know that these, um, all of the houses have different, that they, they were called different things by the ancient Greeks. Um, so like the first place was the helm. Um, the seventh place was like the setting place. The 11th place was the place of good daimon or good spirit. And the 12th was the place of bad diamond or bad spirit. And I was like, okay, cool. That's like the first place we see the diamond, you know, on, a, on a quite a, a basic level, even in the, the structure of the birth chart. Um, so that, that just, just again, looking at clients' charts, looking at my own and looking at like different celebrities and trying to understand 11th house experience. I'm, sorry, I keep saying place and house. Are you... You can use them interchangeably. That's um, cool. I, I'm just going to assume that they mean the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, just putting that together. And what I saw was, well, the 11th house and 12th house, they don't speak to the nature of your daimon, but they do speak to daimonic experiences. So, for example, an 11th house character in your life um, could be somebody who gives you a leg up. So I've had this. I've had... Um, like awesome astro- astrology friends who've really kind of given me a leg up in the industry, let's say. Uh, 
and and that feels like okay they've been helping hands on my path this path of destiny uh, and, and people can have this in in all forms of you know different individuals we encounter and groups because you know of course that is an 11th house topic it's this idea that anything that kind of lifts you up to mm-hmm. the 10th house the place where we are kind of what we're known for in the world and while that isn't just jobs it's not just like work it's it really is um a question of destiny i think so that's the 11th house and then the 12th house different ways of seeing this i don't think that the 12th house diamond is this bad diamond who's pulling us away from our path i think it's just the more difficult experiences and encounters that we have that still lead us onto our path but they they just are, are more subjectively hard mm-hmm. um and the example one of the examples i give in the book is um Joni Mitchell who was she had polio as a child and that meant that she was you know basically like locked away in her room maybe not locked in her room but she, she was bedbound for for you know many months as a child which is a very 12th house experience you're kind of isolated from the world and you're sick it's it's not good but ultimately because of that she, uh, her her guitar tuning because her arms were like a little bit weaker she developed a, a, an unusual kind of guitar tuning and there are, there are other examples, but ultimately it's some, it's stuff like that, which made her stand out as, you know, one of the few you know, famous women guitarists of the 20th century. So all this is to say those 12th house experiences for me are a way to see the, you know, the, the bad diamond I'm doing the inverted mm-hmm. brackets thing. Um, come thing. Uh, we call them still finger quotes over here. Yeah. yeah finger quotes. That's it. <laughs> um so are uh are you when you're talking about this like um it sounds like you're talking about more than one daimon so do you think is are you sort of is that what's happening is there more than one no no so no what i'm saying is more so that experiences and encounters are daimonic in their nature Mm -hmm. so this is where the idea that you have like i really like the idea of having um an entity which is very much like the childhood toys that i interacted with as as my like personal diamond mm-hmm. and i i believe personally that i i do have a kind of a personal entity that i could talk to but that doesn't mean that it's like us it's not uh when, when I see the diamond more as destiny itself, and it's kind of like a personification of destiny, that's when I can make room for um, ex- something bigger than just like an actual spirit or entity. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not a big thing. So the 11th house and 12th house start to become something much bigger. It's more descriptive of, again, people and experiences that are daimonic in nature in that they steer us onto our path. Okay. So that, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense, but you're still okay, um when you were talking about uh sort of wanting to see the diamond as something that you can like interact with or have a personification thing, um do you feel then that these like uh the good diamond and bad diamond interactions are uh manifestations of that or like layers of it or is it something <laughs> Or is it something that maybe we don't get to know? 
I, I think manifestations of it is a really good way of putting it. Okay. Okay. I, I think like, let's say our, our diamond is, is maybe even on some level orchestrating those encounters. Mm. You know, that, uh, so that going back of, to that guide and that's the part of the destiny sort of thing. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so while the diamond because a lot of people basically won't experience the diamond maybe ever in their life as like a voice, you know, mm-hmm. who's telling them this is what you're meant to do. But what they will experience very directly are individuals and, you know, illnesses, d- d- promotions that that will have been, especially in, it's much easier in hindsight, that's like the thing with astrology, will be easy to reflect on and say, okay, well, I can see why that had to happen. That that was part of my destiny. That was, yeah, maybe that was that was my diamond orchestrating that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do you, okay? And then, um, do you think then that the uh, that the houses might give you clues as to what your diamond is going to do to you? <laughs> yeah, I, I I I think you can. In terms of like, yeah, more predictive work, I think you could see it, see them as like themes, themes mm-hmm. of when, what the diamond kind of shows up as in your okay. life. Um, so with with Joni Mitchell's chart, um, she, the, she has a couple of planets in the 12th house and one of them, there's a connection between, I think either a planet in the 12th house rules her fifth house so for me, that was, okay, there's a connection there between 12th house experiences and her creativity and also her children. So she gave her daughter up for adoption when she was, you know, I think starting her career. And um, that ultimately shaped her writing, her songwriting as well. So to me, that was another experience where, okay, there's a separation between mother and child. That's like a fifth house, 12th house thing. And it's also played into her creativity. So you can, you can do some really interesting things using like basic traditional astrology techniques to understand, you know, difficult diamond themes, which can be really helpful for a client who's like, you know, this is a really challenging thing in my life. I'm like, and as the reader, I'm, I'm telling them actually, while this might be a difficult experience, this is like hundred percent your destiny and, um, a very important part of your destiny. Um, so, hmm. so does that make sense? No, <laughs> really, that that does that does make sense. Um, do you did you find this uh, like how how did okay and then how did you start to use the astrology of the diamond or when you were looking at the astrological aspects of it? How did you use that to uh, start forming your connection? So, what the final technique that I outline in the book is much more to do with understanding the nature of your personal diamond. And this okay. is where there was much more like debate in my research. Um, and ultimately I ended up on a technique that Porphyry outlines um, in his uh, introduction to the Tetra Biblios. So it's a very short piece of writing that we have from Porphyry, but it was a pretty neat technique that I was like, okay, I'm just going to attempt this and, and again, experiment with it. And what you do is you ultimately, you're, you're just trying to find um, the strongest you know, best planet in your birth chart. This is a different technique because maybe some of your listeners will be familiar with um, uh, Agrippa, Henry Cornelius Agrippa's work on this as well. And this technique that he has to find the strongest planet 
um, the Al Newton in in the birth chart, mm-hmm. uh, and he also you know you, cu- you come up with the name for your daimon at the end of it. I, I prefer the older technique because it's older, but I, I'm, I'm really open to different approaches. To, yeah, however you want to find the strongest planet in your chart, I think is perfectly acceptable. Um, but the idea here was that this planet would be the planet. It isn't your diamond. Like Mars isn't anyone's diamond because you know we've all got Mars in our chart and Mars is bigger than the diamond. But it can show you potentially something of the nature um, or something of, yeah, yeah, something of the nature of the diamond. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Does, does that make sense? So, yeah, for, so yeah. for me, figuring out that my diamond had a, primarily like a, a solar, sun-like uh, nature was really helpful, um, and it meant, and it, in different ways, it sort of, sort of aligned with like my pre-existing ideas of what my diamond was like, and including like a. a <laughs> A vision that I'd, I'd had of the diamond. I haven't had a lot of visions of it, so I don't expect some like amazing stories um, of my personal diamond. But um, certainly, like the color gold, and, and that seemed to, you know, occur quite a lot mm-hmm. in, in in this area. Um, was Porphyry's uh, and did Porphyry's approach you? Oh, I, I, I might have missed this in your explanation. I got a little lost when you started talking about Agrippa. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, did Porphyry's explanation use uh, astrology a whole lot, or was it? Because uh, I know that like uh, Hellenistic astrology didn't have, uh, you know, it was there was still a lot of development happening. So there were uh, mm-hmm. techniques that were different, approaches that were different, um, things that really weren't the same as, uh, uh, you know. Agrippa would have looked at astrology in a in a different way, you know, as a Renaissance mm-hmm. astrologer instead of a Hellenistic ex- astrologer. Did um, so? Did Porphyry's approach use a lot of astrology, or was it uh, something else? Oh yeah, yeah, it was it was one hundred percent astrology. Okay, all right, cool. I I I'm sure you said that, and I just sort of was thinking about no, maybe. Agrippa's math and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that's interesting though. I, what I was trying to understand, because I, I haven't looked into medieval astrology as much or later astrology, but what I think um, Agrippa focuses more on is the essential dignity of a planet. So mm-hmm. what domicile it's in and that kind of rulership. The older techniques, while that is considered, it's it's not the priority. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more about like angularity, um, like the 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 bound lord of the ascendant and different different right, right. different planets basically yeah and also yeah i mean a lot of those are just techniques that the renaissance and medieval astrologers just weren't doing anymore too which is interesting and i, and I think yeah and definitely neither is but if, if anything if i was bringing out a second edition i would include Agrippa's um mm-hmm. technique as well because i would i don't want to confuse people but i would just encourage them to go with what whichever one they find to speak yeah, I think Agrippa has three techniques. Ah, oh, uh, okay. Some Sometimes. of them are really confusing. I mean, they're really confusing <laughs> to me, but I'm not an a, I'm not a, an astrologer. Some of them are just very, uh, you know, like you use a calculator and you get it, and others yeah. are like, oh, and then here are some more ast- astrological terms you're gonna have to look up in a different book. <laughs> it, it still feels like it's a little bit like that with Porphyry. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, there, there's. I wish it was simpler, but in a way, I mean, one of the points that. Um, uh, Dorian Greenbaum brings out in a book called uh, The Diamond in Hellenistic Astrology, which, you know, I, I take a lot of the astrology from. Um, but she does say that, you know, Porphyry outline um, kind of has a little disclaimer that, you know, this is a very, this is probably the most difficult technique in all of 
astrology. And her conclusion was his Porphyry's kind of like act of finding the daimon is like a ritual in itself, mm-hmm. just through doing just through doing the astrology, which which really appealed to me. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking. Um, I was complaining earlier about the uh, Abramelin ritual and how it's mm-hmm. this long, really drawn out thing. Um, I guess maybe a recurring theme is that uh, getting in touch with your daimon or having any sort of uh, communication with it isn't really always that easy. You know, it, or at least for most of us, you know, maybe Socrates had an easy time of it, but he was way special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if it's it's just our like life stuff or whatever the um, Neoplatonists called it, the stuff that's it starts with the H. It's like the stuff yeah. that's kind of blinding us um, prevents that. One thing I try to out, um, uh, underline in the book is this idea that the daimon, I believe, is trying to make contact with us as much as we want to contact it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that just logically it follows that if this being is responsible for us, for our souls kind of fulfilling their destiny, their life path, um, wouldn't it want us to sort of like wake up and get the message as soon as possible? Um, but I think along with that comes it, it's speaking in, in, you know, in different ways to all of us. And with me, astrology has just made me a lot more like aware of what the hell I'm doing, the different patterns in my life. So I think if you're already somebody who's interested in astrology, maybe you you practice it yourself or you, you see an astrologer. I think that is all the work of the diamond. Anyway, you can't really get away from the diamond if you're studying astrology, Mm -hmm. at least the good kind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. Um, So uh, one of the, things that you talk about in your book are the 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 uh the different faces of the daimon the four faces of the daimon mm-hmm. um maybe we already talked about that when we were discussing the houses but i was just wondering could you maybe go into that a little bit like what what does that really mean yeah and this was basically my way of trying to grapple with all of the different um roles that i've seen the daimon show up for different people when i was like researching this um, you could add more faces to this, but for me, one of the first ones that I had encountered was the creative face of the diamond. Um, and this is where you might have the concept of the muse, which, you know, that that's, that's an old Greek concept in itself. And while I don't confuse the muses with the diamond, this idea of creatives having something that moves through them, um, when a, when a writer or an artist is like, that wasn't me, that was something else that came through me. Mm-hmm. To me, that, that's, that's a way of seeing the diamond. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that these faces, at least that one in particular, are a way for people to kind of let the diamond into their life. It's like, oh yeah, I've had that experience. I've had that experience where I was in a flow state and you know, time was completely distorted and you know, I was just completely absorbed in, in the task. I think that's a daimon kind of experience. I think that's when the daimon has us in its grip. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, and it, you know, and one of the one of my favorite books I read about the daimon or in, involving the daimon was, oh god, it's, I think it's called Daimonic Creativity um, or like Anger, Madness, and the Daimonic. I, it's by Stephen Diamond anyway, mm-hmm. and he mentions a lot of different people throughout history who 
have maybe been uh, under the in the grip of the diamond and it shows up in, in a very like challenging way um you, you know you have so many like i remember my like like art teacher telling us about um you know picasso and, and all of these people who don't really seem like very nice people but who mm -hmm. make amazing art and who you know really shape the history of um you know civilization for us um you know and, and i feel like they they were doing the diamonds work it just it yeah. also meant that they were um maybe not the nicest of people at times oh yeah i mean and we we keep running into those sorts of people i was actually just having a conversation about a roman polanski with a friend of mine mm. and i was just like you know i don't want to talk about him as a person but this movie that he yeah. made was really great yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah and, and we're, we're always tasked with that idea of you know can, can you accept the art you know even if you don't accept in spite the, artist. Of the artist yeah 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 and I think under, for me, understanding the diamond has helped me help soften that a little bit mm -hmm. in a way. Oh man, um, that just makes sense. <laughs> that does help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. Um, uh, we talked about this a little bit in email, but there, the there are, um, I guess, kind of contemporary to Porphyry. There are other methods of contacting like personal spirits, like in the <laughs> yeah in the Greek magical papyri. There's this spirit that. There are maybe like six to ten different rituals to do it to contact a, a spirit called a pardemos, which is like okay. a, a personal daimon sort of yeah. familiar helper spirit. Um, and none of them are easy. All of them are, require yeah. just lots of strange hoops you have to pass through. And I think one of them has like a donkey skull that you have to enchant in weird ways. And like it's just it's complicated though. It's always a pretty complicated operation. Um, the, the closest I've come, I, I, you've probably had him on the show, but Freyta Acker. Uh, I know of him. I haven't. I haven't had him on the show yet. Yeah, he. he I do think that in Holy Diamond, he does have a, a really like accessible way to maybe approach these kinds of um, rituals. But even for me, I was like, do I? Am I really going to eat a raw egg? Um, I, 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 you know, and I, yeah. I, I trust me, Daimon. I really want to make contact with you, but it's it's how far do you want to go with this? And mm -hmm. honestly, my readers, are, I, I even in the subtitle, it was this is an accessible guide. And as much as I personally like, part of me does want to, you know, at some point in my life, book like eighteen months off and get the Avramelin done. <laughs> I, I, it's not probably not going to happen. And the the way when I was researching this, I was like, so many people have encountered the diamond. They haven't done these rituals. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing evidence in the life of this. Um, and so it just depends how I'm trying to encourage people also to, to figure out their own understanding of the diamond. And by presenting, for example, these four faces of the diamond, I'm hoping that like at least one of those faces will be some, something that people can, you know, okay. I, I identify with that. I can get behind that. I can see myself getting to know that that mm -hmm. character um yeah so sorry yeah going, going back to the, the rituals i mean even things like um with the creative face of the daimon that was encouragement for me to explore my own art a bit more and be like okay what kind of art would i have to make that would elicit maybe that's that flow state because let's say that that is one way that 
I feel I'm mm-hmm. connecting with the diamond. Uh, and people might have other ways of, of doing that, but I, I do think that um, the idea of a flow state makes a lot of sense as to one way of knowing, okay, that's that's a yes from the diamond. Yeah, I guess I wonder sometimes, you know, I mean, uh, if that if the creative face of the diamond is, is so powerful, um, you know, I mean, we know that Picasso wasn't doing magic rituals, for instance. Like, yeah, exactly. uh, I think for some of us it is easier, but also I think a lot of people who get into doing magic rituals uh, make a lot of um, barriers for themselves along the way where they're like, no, 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 this has to be a difficult ritual. This, town, mm. this sounds too good to be true if it's not a difficult ritual. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet. I wonder if Saturn is their like diamonds nature, like that they have this <laughs> Saturnian diamond wings. If, if it's worth doing, it has to be hard. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that's an interesting thing to explore in itself. And I think if I'm honest, like that's probably why I prefer the more like the lengthy process in astrology of, of trying to make contact with the diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately I, this isn't one of the things that it's not that I dislike about the rituals. I, I just don't trust myself that I would make like contact with the diamond once and then that's it. Like we're buddies for life. And I know that that's, I'm, I'm sure that's not what people are saying who perform these rituals. I know that right. it's, it's more of an ongoing relationship, but for me, um, the astrology was my ritual for getting that initial kind of groundwork down and to feel like, okay, I've got something to work with. I've got, even if it's just a planetary symbol and that's all I've got, that's, that's a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can explore the symbolism of that planet to, to maybe, you know, experiment with, with other ways of connecting with the diamond. Um, but in the final section of the book, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just give a wide range of ideas that are practical enough that it's not a stretch for somebody to go out and do these things, even on a, on a very regular basis. And I'm ideally I'm talking daily and I wish I could say that I'm doing all of these things daily, but um, it's, it's, it's still hard for me. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, so I, I definitely don't need to make it harder on myself. <laughs> it's, it's hard <laughs> enough to like, yeah. um, hold on. Let's, let's go back to the, to the faces a little bit um, because in your book, you list, four of them right there's the creative which we talked about uh there's the divine which i think you know makes sense the dark i can imagine what that would be but then one of the faces is the animal face can you talk about that a little bit yeah and and you actually mentioned this at the beginning yourself um the familiar so like the witch is familiar that that was yeah and and that whole face was the last face i actually added and it was because i'd read um this book by Maja Zau on uh, witch, uh, familiars and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a wonderful book where she really outlines the different ways. You know, I just thought it would be about black cats and it would just be this like historical witchy book, which is fine, but it wasn't. It was, it's a lot more, and it was a lot more about um, different ways people have had very like intimate relationships with either spirits or animals um, or the diamond. And just how the diamond might have shown up throughout history. So I, I really like that idea of the diamond showing up as a as a pet, like as a pet. But like I think even beyond that, like a, a magical um, familiar, and you know, and, and that could even be 
it, it, like an imagined familiar. It wouldn't necessarily have to be a real animal either. Uh, some witches would have had, um, yeah, would have worked with imaginal kind of counterparts. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of like a kind of a soulmate through the daimon um, and how, again, we, we've seen that in, in different cultures. Um, I, I, I can't remember what, what the name of the tribe was. Um, this is terrible when you forget your own book. But this idea that you could have a, I think it was an ally. One one author described it as an ally. Um, and that could be a person, but that people could actually like marry that person. And that would, that would be like an, a magical um familiar slash diamond sorry I'm, I'm getting confused because like you can use different words for these things and, and that's all well, right yeah that's... A challenge. <laughs> but let's just call it the diamond and okay. yeah um okay so that's that all right i i guess uh that totally makes sense and i hadn't really made that connection um so then uh are the divine and the dark faces kind of like um opposites of each other or how do they uh, interact yeah, so so I think the dark face, in a way, is is closer aligned with the creative face, um, and it's it's kind of like um I wouldn't say it's an, a necessary part of the diamond, but for example, what happens when you ignore your diamond, and a way of interpreting that would be um, a diamond that's maybe like causing trouble to try to get your attention. That could be thought of as the dark face of the diamond. Mm. Um, but I, I would say also when we're talking about the artists who, you know, kind of let their creativity over, overtake them. Again, I think that's the, the dark face of the diamond. And um, one of the examples uh, in the book is Captain Ahab in Moby Dick and he let his kind of, you know, his obsession with the whale obviously, obviously get the better of him. That, that in a way, the whale was, let's say his diamond in, in that instance, mm-hmm. or the dark diamond in that instance. And equally that book, you know, on a macro scale um, was um, the author, Herman Melville. Like he kind of went off the rails once he had finished writing that book. Um, so, you know, was the, that book showing up as a diamond in his life? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, as for the divine face of the diamond, um, this was, was an idea that came when I was uh, watching a, a lecture by um, David Newjars, like it's a Dutch name, and he was talking about um, <laughs> in. <laughs> well, I just sort of like forgive it for asking for apology for. Not, uh, not, I mean, uh, nobody can uh, nobody can pronounce Dutch except for the Dutch. But <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, that was um, that's early. Um, so he was he mentions um, the kind of the Sufi idea of the angel, and that this is so the harder harder one for me to get my head around. But it's like the face that God shows you. It's mm-hmm. a very personal face of of God, and it's actually probably my favorite concept of the diamond. That especially for somebody who feels like the divine is a very far away thing. Um, this idea that the divine is showing itself to you through a very personalized form. Um, and yeah, that's, hmm. does that makes sense? And, but yeah, certainly like the, the Sufi tradition seem to have the most interesting ideas on that. Um, and, and, but you can see it in other ways. I, I've, mm-hmm. I feel like it shows up in, other mystical traditions as well. This idea that there is um, a very personal form of God, right? Um, yeah. For each of us, 
yeah i think that that makes sense and i i kind of I, li- I like that uh the sufi idea too the the personal face of god like mm-hmm. you never get to get you never get to see like actual god but there is mm-hmm. this one aspect that one that one side of the die or whatever hmm. yeah and it also means that like we don't all have to agree what that looks like um right. yeah that, that would i think it would be a really harmonious way to to deal with that question of what 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 is god um because maybe it's a very deliberate thing that we're seeing in a, in a unique way yeah yeah that mm-hmm. really could be hmm yeah this is I, I i love this topic it's very you know you can talk about it in sort of this way where it's like a magical imaginary friend but then when you really start to get into it it is really something like it's easy to say that the daimon is like the guide to your destiny but then you have to think about like what exactly does destiny mean and how is that sort of like um you know i guess it's it's sort of like uh uh do you guys have uh bowling in england oh we certainly do yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys probably invented it actually we call it fooling no we fooling. don't <laughs> <laughs> um but it's sort of like you know uh the destiny, your destiny is sort of the thing that keeps you out of the gutter balls, right? They're out of the gutters. Yeah. And, you know, you still have the whole lane to play in, but the, so your, your holy guardian angel, your daimon is sort of the thing that's like, oh, no, 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 don't, that's too far, too far astray. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also like, there's a, there's a much deeper element to it. You know, if the, if the daimon is like your personal face of God, it really is sort of a thing where like every single one of us might have this sort of like guiding principle or every single one of us would have this kind of guiding principle that keeps us all moving in in one particular track or in one particular direction. Uh, we might only get to see like a little sliver of it. You know, we might only even get to see slivers of it when the daimon reveals itself in some way. But that's sort of, uh, it really does sort of like lead into this much deeper... I mean, I don't know what to call it, a philosophy, a worldview, yeah. like a, a view of how everything kind of clicks together. This is kind of the problem with it. It hurts mm-hmm. my head um, if yeah. I think too hard about it. Um, but one of the favorite, yeah, you made me think of a couple of things because this is probably my favorite bit is when you do get into that pondering mm-hmm. fate, destiny, w- what's the difference between those things as well, which um, is something I try to deal with in the book. But one of my astrology friends said that for them, I think the diamond actually, you know, appeared to them or they got a message from their diamond saying, I am you looking back at yourself from the end of life. Oh. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that's just one to kind of meditate on. And it also made me think about the problem of time. And mm-hmm. the reason none of this makes sense to us is because we're dealing with time. And, and, time, and time is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, time is totally. <laughs> I have that tattooed. Um, no, uh, yeah, it's it's that idea that if if this was all happening like you know simultaneously, which I on some level it is. Mm-hmm. I always think of the you've seen Donnie Darko. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and one of my favorite images in that is they have those because I think that is a very much a story about the diamond. Um, but they have those kind of like tubes. Of, mm-hmm. I guess, destiny that, that that you can walk on. That's right. That's right. And Donnie I, Darko not... also has Harvey in it. Ah, yes, 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 <laughs> yes. See, I also think that's influenced my own kind of concept of the diamond because anything with like a big kind of like furry animal head is. I feel well, there like you go. It's the animal face. Whether it's a rabbit, a fox, some some <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of woodland creature. Mm-hmm. That's the diamond. Um, 
yeah so that those kind of like wormholey tunnels mm-hmm. i just i always sort of start to think about that when i think about this concept of the diamond and destiny and you know the question like can we ever really go off our path yeah is, is, is yeah. Th- th- that i mean i'm not going to have a, an answer to that but um i do think that some things are more on your path than others mm-hmm. and one of the ways i mean a lot of people experience like synchronicities and you know one of the classic kind of you know new agey like um ideas is if you're seeing a lot of synchronicities well you know that you're on your path um well i wouldn't I don't think we need to simplify it as much as that. I do think that there are certain times that when you start doing this work on the diamond, just start asking the question, um, who, like, w- w- what is my diamond? What is my destiny? I do think that events start to reveal themselves that make you feel like, yes, I am, I am doing this thing regardless of mm-hmm. whether it looks like how I expected it to. Um, right. Yeah. Ugh, destiny is such it feels exhausting to think about too you're just sort of like oh my god there's there's more <laughs> yeah, yeah can i sh- one of my favorite quotes because um to help, which really helped me understand destiny from one perspective was um from this guy alexander lowen who's a psychologist who said the difference between fate and destiny is like um how birds are fated to fly and fish are fated to swim but that's not their destiny and it's that idea that there is, we will have a fate in the terms of um, the kind of life, a lot of our life that we kind of get lumped with, mm-hmm. um, that the deal we get dealt, that the lot that has been given, uh, that's been cast. But destiny, especially when I approach it through astrology, feels a lot more to do with the consciousness that I bring to that fate or the 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 how of the what. Like, how do I deal with being born in this place or how do I deal with this job that I hate? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like those are more the questions of destiny. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where one of them is kind of, uh, you know, the, the outer limits of what you can possibly change given the circumstances that you're dealt, you know, like yeah. you're a bird. If you really, really want to not fly, you can totally waddle around on bird legs the whole time, but your destiny is probably going to be uh, approaching rather quickly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I, I, I like that. Um, I feel uh, I have a, a I interviewed um, an astrologer maybe like a year and a half ago. It was right at the beginning of the lockdown stuff. And I remember this because I think we had to do the interview over the phone because my internet sucked. Um, and his name is, uh, Alan Drake and he, um, he loves Hellenistic astrology and was deep in some of the like really, really difficult Hellenistic astrology books and trying to explain fate and destiny to me. Uh, it's probably a very entertaining interview if you can get over the sound quality. Oh yeah, no that I'm going to check that out. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might really enjoy it. He, he, he's, uh, he thinks about this stuff a lot and it's a, I think it's a really big part of his uh, astrological practice. Um, okay. So we don't have a whole lot of time now. So I really want to hear a little bit about, uh, some of the practices. You don't have to give away the secrets of your practices for connecting with the diamond because then we'll tell people about the Kickstarter so that they can just go read about Mm -hmm. it themselves. 
Awesome. Well, okay, I'll, I'll share all of the, the no, and these are probably things that some people will already be doing. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite ways to connect with the diamond is writing to it. And oh. this is a practice that kind of evolved from um, morning pages. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea by Julia Cameron in her book, The Artist's Way, suggests writing like three pages, like. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like um, 750 words. Yeah and, yeah. and just getting all of the kind of brain crap that's built up over the night out first thing in the morning, um, just like a, a ritual every single morning before you actually do anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even reading it back, just just everything every bit of that internal monologue get that out and from that i, I started thinking because i've already got this practice um and i'll even do it if i wake up at like 3 a.m which like, a lot of people i feel like got sleep issues during um this covid time <laughs> yeah and I, I was definitely one of them and i would start instead of just writing out everything that was on my mind i would start addressing that to the diamond mm-hmm. and um you know start posing it questions and the crazy thing, even though I'm, I'm not generally somebody who's very like, oh, I can yeah, like channel stuff and hear things. I'm, I'm really not. And yet this practice of writing out um, a question and writing, like just letting myself write whatever that answer is over time, you start feeling like that's that I didn't come up with that answer. That was something else that answered me. Mm-hmm. And um, t- to me that even if it's not the diamond, it's still a really incredibly helpful practice. And I think it kind of trains us to kind of um, trust our intuition a bit more. That's a, that's a really interesting practice. Cause I think that's also um, how uh, people who learn like automatic writing and that sort of like mediums channeling stuff. I think they do something similar to that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I, mm-hmm. I think it's all coming. I mean, and you know, you could call it. Oh, that's my. That's like Steve up there in the Pleiades coming through. Fine, right. that's fine. But like for me, it's that I'm speaking to the diamond. And you know, if you don't want to get some other entities, maybe very clearly address it to your diamond. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a reason to find its name. I don't you know. This is um, choose your own adventure kind of thing. But uh, for people who don't feel like, for example, another practice might be. Um, you know, meditation, um, mm-hmm. kind of, tr- and also playing with. I'm careful. I, I don't want to say active imagination. That this is something that people will. Some people will already be familiar with active imagination, right? Or you're talking about sort of the. Uh, I like to call it the imaginal faculty. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. using using uh, using the imagination as a uh, sensory organ, sort of. Yeah, I love yeah. exactly exactly and and going into a, a a place where you can encounter the diamond mm-hmm. in the imaginal realm. Oh, right. Yes. Sort of like a journeying or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that practice. That's, that's a good one actually. Yeah. And I feel like that's just going to appeal to some people more than others. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if you would see it this way, but people who are more like able to very, some people say, oh, I, I can't visualize right. stuff very right. easily. Yeah. And for them, I'm just like, okay, I think, every, you know, if I said, you know, what does an orange look like? You could probably conjure that up on, on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I mean, my friend pointed this out to me. There's this classic, um, like, um, practice that, like, in, in art school you might be given, which is to draw a bicycle from your imagination. Mm-hmm. And everyone sucks at it. Unless you're like, you know your bicycle, like, 
really, really well. Most people can't draw a bicycle from their heads. Right. So, um, but anyway, if, if you're not confident in your, in your visualization abilities, maybe the writing practice will, will be better. Um, I like that. I like that. You know, there, um, the, the, you know, a lot of people have difficulty with the visualization techniques mm -hmm. and, uh, and I feel guilty a lot because a lot of the um, stuff that I teach relies super heavily on visualization techniques. And, um, and then I'm always like, well, ah, there's, I feel like there's all these people I'm leaving out. How do I fix that? So well, it's great oh. that you have both approaches. You've done, you've yeah. done well. Thank you. No, I, that's what I'm trying. But I, equally, I wouldn't want to say, because that's awesome that that's what you're doing, because I think it is a practice. And I, I believe everyone can do it. Mm -hmm. I just... I don't want to try to convince them that they can. <laughs> right. I, I think like well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's because I, I, I actually know, know uh, some artists who say that they can't do it. And I'm just sort of like, I don't know. Yeah. I, what happens how before does you that, put yeah. the pen to the paper? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, you can never know what is passing in another person's mind. Yeah. 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 Yet. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, okay, now let's talk about your book. So it's not out yet. You have a Kickstarter going on. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so this was a way for me to make myself launch the book and actually tell people about it. There was no way for me to do that without launching a Kickstarter, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's also meant that um, I've been able to offer different you know, rewards alongside the book. So everyone who supports the campaign will obviously get a copy of the digital version of the book. Um, and then there are a range of other Daimon related goodies from um, a 12 week course that I um, gave earlier this year and people can, you know, watch that in their own time. Uh, so we've also got one-to-one uh, -one Daimon readings where I go through the four astrological techniques with you in your birth chart. Um, and people were also demanding the hard copy of the book. So I've, I've added a tier now where you can get a nice um, uh, hardback edition. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that, wow. though I'm kind of scared about sending a lot of books to people. So, Oh, you know, it's fine. You just have to, oh, here's a, here's a hint. Buy a label printer. Oh, that's yeah. a fun thing to have anyway. Yeah, Done. they only cost like $17, <laughs> which is, I think is like three okay. pounds. <laughs> Good tips. Thank yeah. you. Um. So, and okay, so I'll make sure that there's a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. Uh, and, and it ends on October 31st. October so 31st. Okay, excellent. Which is uh, Halloween. Mm. Excellent. Cool. Uh, and then you also have a YouTube channel. Yes. And I've been, I've been, I've had a podcast since 2016, um, mm -hmm. but it became astrology about a year, a year and a half ago. So what you'll find there is weekly astrology forecasts um, and after this Kickstarter is over, I'm going to start putting out more information about the diamond anyway. So yeah, you can find me at just search Cat Nelligan or Cat Rose on, on YouTube. Or go to the show notes and there'll be a link oh, yeah. for that also. Uh, and then um, and then people can also find you on your website, I assue. Yes. And that uh, cat, is... CatRoseAstrology.com. Okay. Awesome. This is excellent. I really, really love this topic. And um, hopefully, you know, I mean, if, if thing... If, you have more developments in the future. I would love to uh, have you back on to talk about it some more. Thank you. I'd love to have you on my show if you were up for it. At some Absolutely. Point. I'll probably have to clean my room a little bit since you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you. Uh, this has been, this has been Cat Nelligan. 
Thank you, Kat. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of the Arnamancy Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I have been your host, Reverend Eric. You can find Arnamancy online at arnamancy.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the Arnamancy Project for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy.com.